Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. It's our 350th show of the V8 Insiders, and five icons of Australian motorsport media tell us what they think of V8 supercars. I hope you'll stay with us as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars, showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac, carbon fibre products. Right about now you're saying, does this fella ever work? Because I am still on holidays. We've got a great show for you though. Earlier, well late last year, the V8 Media Association was established and five men were inducted into its Hall of Fame. They were Ray Berghaus, John Stoneham, who you would know as Stoney, the cartoonist, John Evans from Auto Action, and of course Oval Express, Barry Oliver, for years the voice of V8 Supercars, and Will Hagen, of course his voice, unmistakable across the Australian media landscape. And you're going to hear their thoughts on V8 Supercars, so I hope you'll stay with us. I'm having a great time, as I'm sure you all did over the Christmas New Year period. Some interesting views from the icons of Australian motorsport media coming up right after the break. Brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Get online, check out their entire range. some great stuff there. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Five legends of Australian motorsport media were inducted into the V8 Media Association Hall of Fame. They were Barry Oliver, commentator for the V8 Supercar Series, Ray Berghaus, who started off as a photographer and then became the publisher of the Chevron Group. Also, John Evans, a regular contributor to Auto Action and, of course, a publisher in his own right for Oval Express. 
Will Hagen's voice cannot be mistaken. It's an authoritative voice of motorsport across Australia. And the cartoonist, John Stoneham, who is better known as Stoney, who's graced auto action now since the mid-70s. These five luminaries were all asked a series of questions about V8 supercars and gave some very honest and interesting responses. My first question was, how have you seen the V8 supercars revolution? Ray Berghaus. Uh, well, um, it's been a revolution in marketing, certainly. Um, uh, and I think that the, um, the way that the V8 supercar organisation has um, extended the, um, the value of that class of motor racing has been enormously successful for those involved in it. And unfortunately, as a, as a sort of a, uh, as a side exercise, it has to a great degree deteriorated uh, almost all other motorsport in the country. Um, before V8 Supercars, touring car, the Touring Car Championship was one of a, of a series of very well populated and very well promoted uh, championships that were run at different events. Uh, now everything is pretty much polarised towards the V8s. And I think that that's not necessarily a good thing for the sport in general. Um, however, they have been extremely successful at gaining governmental support, uh, commercial support. So there's no question they've done a brilliant job at marketing their product. Will Hagen. In terms of the engineering of the vehicles, the presentation of the vehicles, the professionalism, the whole act is great. I was involved recently in the Tasman Revival meeting and I drew an odious comparison, if you like. V8 supercars, not with an enormous amount of knowledge or passion, but with an enormous amount of professionalism and presentation and a really shiny act in terms of, you know, when they come onto the grid and the national anthems sung and all of this sort of stuff and where they go at the end and the conferences and everything. And the Tasman meeting, tons of passion and knowledge among those that are running it, but not the same level of professionalism and presentation. And so if we could combine the two, we could have the best of all worlds. But uh, uh, unfortunately, that's not the way it happens. And, uh, you know, the commercialism is good, but to me it's taken some of the gloss off it, you know. I just, I'd like to see more raw energy and... um, naturalness i suppose about the whole thing uh, i don't like safety cars i have to say um I've, ne- I've seen more red flags in the last 10 years than i saw in the previous 50 i mean you could go seasons without a red flag once upon a time and i don't understand i really don't understand when you've got some of the best drivers in the country and sometimes in the world when there's a, an object stopped on the edge of the track or further from the edge of the track why you have to assemble these people and put them into a little queue because they can't observe this and drive their way past it. If the car that's disabled, bike that's disabled, gets hit by another car that makes a mistake, well, that's their joint problem. Damn them, you know, and, and so be it. But why we have to put up with the whole thing being re-scripted and, and so on, I don't know and I don't like it. And we know to some degree what the reasons are for it. It's because there's not enough potential variation in the race. Barry Oliver. Well, 
I think it's quite amazing when Tony Cochran uh, made his somewhat brash statement at Sandown all those years ago. Uh, you've got to bear in mind that the fields for the championship at that stage were very, very low, um, and you know we all wondered what this guy was on about and whether it was ever going to work. Well, now history is going to show that it's gone ahead in leaps and bounds. But the the first word that comes to mind is that there is far more professionalism now in V8 supercars than we've ever had in the past. Uh, there's been absolutely dramatic changes as far as the construction of the cars are concerned. And, of course, we've got Car of the Future coming up next year. But just to give an example, at the MG Car Club Historic Race Meeting, there was a, quite a famous car there, totally original. And um, it's probably before your time, Craig, but it was called the Everlast Holden Commodore, which was raced by Bill O'Brien, um, sponsored by Everlast Batteries. And this car has been bought by a Tasmanian, and it's exactly as it finished its last race. It hasn't been modified or changed or restored. It's still mobile. It, go, it competes in regularity events down here. Now, when you look at that car, which was built by Larry Perkins back in whenever it was, you would have thought at the time, how much better can these cars get than this? And yet, if you put that side by side with currently what we've got, um, it's just phenomenal, the, the changes that have taken place. The way we actually run the sport now um, is so much different. John Evans. Well, you can't help but uh, hand it to Tony Cochran uh, for shaping the future of the sport as far as professionalism is concerned. Uh, I think it's the envy of a lot of other um, countries around the world. I know how much my friends uh, in the States, for example, follow it. Um, but I do worry that the future of our sport in terms of road racing, it's more like an inverted pyramid. It's a bit top-heavy because once you get beneath that veneer of the, uh, the V8 supercar level, then going back down to club racing, uh, it's, it's getting fairly thin. You've only got to look at numbers we used to have in Formula Fords, Formula 3s, um, just the, the national categories, and then look at the impact that it's had as far as permanent circuits are concerned uh, with the proliferation of street circuits. Uh, again, it's a worry that uh, these operators um, need as much as possible to try and help the infrastructure and improve the places which become so dependent upon V8 supercars and having it around the once and only chance of making any money for the year. Some interesting thoughts there from those five luminaries. After the break, we find out about what they think V8 supercars has done to the Australian motorsport landscape. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars, showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. We continue to hear from five of motorsport's most respected media people 
as they talk to us about what they think V8 Supercars has done to the Australian motorsport landscape. John Stoneham. Uh, probably my saddest, saddest part of uh, motorsport is rallying because I started in rallying and, and it's a sport that I quite like and, and, and have indulged myself on many occasions. Uh, I think the last rally that I did was the first Target Tasmania and uh, came sixth outright. And, uh, you know, poor old rallying, apart from the tarmac rallies, tarmac rallies are, are okay, I guess, but they're, they're fraught with danger. You know, there's, unfortunately, this day and age, rallying has been as, uh, as bad as smoking, I guess. They see it as a dangerous sport on public roads or semi-public roads, if you like. So I don't quite know what's happened to that. But once upon a time in the days of Howard Marsden and the, and the Datton team and Colin Bonds and the Ford team, I mean, they were huge. Maybe later when Mitsubishi and Subaru were running, it was great. You see, a lot of the manufacturers, even World Rally Championships is boring. You know, if Loeb doesn't win, someone else does. Um <laughs> Uh, it's sort of, that's suffered, unfortunately. It's very, very sad. Sad to, uh, it's sad to see. In the other aspects of motorsport, like Formula Forge, that's fairly stable. Uh, Go-kart racing is very stable. I think this, that, that's our nursery. That's where our, that's where our kids come from. They're the, they're, that's where we can look forward to seeing um, where our future drivers are going to come from. And I don't think that will ever die out. How do you see um, In sports sedan racing, GT racing, well, these, these things go up and down all the time, you know. John Evans. You've only got to look at the standard and the levels of presentation. Um, just the equipment that the people have now, the, um, the personnel, um, their capacity to uh, um, fix cars, to have workshops that are just pieces of art when you look at the, all the machinery in there. Um, again, as I said, the level of presentation uh, is impeccable, and that sort of goes from the very moment they go and park up trucks. Uh, they're all nice and evenly distributed. Um, there's no sort of... There are penalties involved if your garage doors close. Like the, I know it can be a bit archaic and... Uh, over police, but there are reasons why they do things. So uh, uh, I, I just think that the sport needed to break away from the amateurism. Um, really, when it was in charge of the uh, club-driven and more promoter-driven, then they would never have made those changes to get it to what it is today. Barry Oliver. Well, I, I've got to be honest with you, Craig, and say that I have some concerns that we perhaps uh, have um, neglected is probably not the right word, but I have concerns about grassroots motorsport. Now, I still involve myself in in grassroots motorsport. Um, For example, I direct, um, as clerk, of course, the final round of the Tasmanian Rally Series in November, uh, sorry, October. when I get the opportunity, I go to Karna Crosses and Motocarnas. But I sort of feel that we're focusing so much attention now at the top end of the sport that we've got to be very careful we don't ignore the, gr- the grassroots level because at the end of the day, 
it's a bit like a pyramid and we've got to make sure that down at the base we keep everything working and keep it growing. So I think that's a concern that, that I would have at the present time. Mm. Ray Berghaus. V8 supercars have successfully overtaken all of those other uh, groups, even though even some of those groups that didn't exist uh, prior to their arrival as an organisation. But when you think that um, uh, Formula Ford's been around forever, uh, uh, open-wheel racing cars have been around you know, pretty much longer than anything, uh, and all of these classes, to one degree or another, are less successful economically uh, today than they were 20 years ago. So I, I don't think that uh, unless there is a significant shift in the, po- in the economics of motorsport, that there's going to be a significant change in their fortunes. Will Hagen. Well, people who've come along in, in recent times have said, oh, you know, the, the circuit, uh, the, the touring car championship was on the bones of its bum when, when it was rescued by Tony Cochran. Um, it wasn't. It had its good days and its bad, but it had some very, very good days, and it had a, it had a lot of variety. We'd been through Ford Sierra Cosworths and Nissan Skyline GTRs and all sorts of things. And as I said then, when they said, Nissan Skyline, take them away. Go away. We don't want you. And they've done that to various other things. And now they're saying to 28 cars and many more than that, the spare ones in garages, they're saying, we don't want your cars. Go away. Well, I can tell you, Craig, that's the greatest um, luxury to say to people, those cars are no good anymore. You should always be able to go on and run whatever you've got until it's no longer of any use and you pass it on to somebody down the line, a secondary category and so on. And I know that they'll go to a secondary category, except the market's going to be flooded. But um, uh, I just... uh, I I think there's been some rewriting of history. Uh, Contractually, yes. Um, We've had, you know a known number of competitors going to turn up at each meeting. We've known the meetings and the calendars and everything, and so we've been able to plan ahead. But, you know, uh, let's examine a few things. They've, They've blundered in going to some foreign tracks. They've blundered enormously in leaving Sandown. Why in the hell they ever left Sandown to go to Ipswich? as the pre-Bathurst race and clog the entire countryside there with with uh, traffic that couldn't move for hours and hours on end until finally, finally, they thought, yeah, Sandown's not a bad place. It's uh, It's got the two major contenders, the, the, the head offices of the two major competing car companies that once used to bring along lots of their their associated companies and interested uh, interested uh, employees and so on to Sandown and often make ba- Sandown a bigger race or a better attended race than Bathurst. So uh, there's been, you know, I think sometimes narky reasons to change things, to go to different places. They've cut out a sprint race at Phillip Island and made it an enduro and whilst it's a wonderful motorcycle racetrack, I don't think it's a good car raced endurance track um, and you know like like a, a federal politics 
things are sometimes have been done for political reasons rather than for the good of the sport reasons. Now that probably happened way back in the days of, of the, the more amateurish approach from CAMS. But to look at it another way too, I'll never ever forgive CAMS for signing over the ATCC, the Australian Touring Car Championship, uh, to uh, any company, and it happened to be the, the company now known as V8 Supercars Australia. I'll never forgive them for losing control of um, that valuable piece of, of, you know, that valuable commodity of, of the Australian Touring Car Championship and so that the regulations and the calendar and the direction of the whole thing, the control of the thing, is now um, in the hands of an outside company instead of the Confederation of Australian Motorsport. And I think that was just against the way the sport was run and in my mind should be run. And I, I think it was a pity that it happened like that. Sure, have them come in and say, we want to run this, and Cam say, sure. These are the regs. This is what you can do. And this is what you'll pay us. And they, CAMS has got money out of it and employs CAMS people. And CAMS charge them some fairly hefty fees for what CAMS does. But um, they should, I think, uh, uh, have retained greater control over it. And, uh, you know, in terms of the circuits it goes to, um, I don't like the fact that... Uh, uh, we see so much what they call street races. Um, I can remember street races that were street races, and I can remember night races. Do you remember? I mean, night races at Oran Park, there was a lit, sort of slightly lit paddock area and pit lane area, and then cars with headlights on drove off into the night, and it was wonderful in fully illuminated circuits. Well, why don't you save the environment and have them in the daytime? You know, they're not night races. Le Mans is a night race. But... Um, Qatar motorcycle race or Singapore Formula One race is a race burning up fossil fuel for the novelty of holding it in the dark with, with this illuminated area that looks like daylight. And so all of these things, I think... You see, I think, Craig, one of the things that's happened is te television's become so powerful. And when television says, whether it's to cricket or to tennis or to motorsport or rugby league or whatever when television says we want this and we want it starting at this time every week and with this many matches and all the rest of it all the aficionados all the knowledgeable people who passionately love these sports over decades and decades and have brought them up to a level where the tv channels say this is pretty good stuff we could throw this up on air and it'd look all right and then suddenly TV comes in and says what it wants done and the way it wants it done. And these people who had all that knowledge end up being pushed to some degree to one side until, as in cricket, the TV channels flog it to death and uh, people turn around and say, well, it's become less meaningful than it once was. I won't say it's become meaningless but it's become less meaningful than it once was. You know, there's a cricket test starting on this date. And people remember when it started, what the weather was like, and who opened the bowling, and how it all went. And these days we see so much of it that a lot of it gets lost. And uh, 
you know, it's entertainment. Yes, it is, but uh, nothing wrong with it being high-level special entertainment. And that's, that's what you see, that's what attracted me to motorsport originally, Craig. It was special people doing special things at special places. And whether it was the Thousand Lakes Rally in Finland, beautifully named, whether it was the East Africa Safari, whether it was people climbing up and down the mountain on bikes or in cars at Bathurst, whether it was people, you know, at Oran Park, if you like, with the Singer Car Club originally. But people who cared about the sports said, gee, if we came here, we could go over that hill and round that tree and down into that dip, and that'd be fantastic. And these days what they say is, well, we'd, we'd like it near this capital city and uh, we'll build this VIP facility and we'll have these grandstands and these garages and, oh, if somebody can design the track, they can bung it out there and we'll have a flat as a billiard table track with no particular challenge, acres wide, and, you know, away we go with entertainment and... Um, After the break, the Fujitsu Air white flag lap, and we'll continue our chat with these five luminaries. You've taken the V8 to the races. You've watched the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. It's the white flag lap time brought to you by Fujitsu Air, Australia's leading air. And... We continue our chat now with Barry Oliver, Will Hagen, John Evans, John Stoneham and Ray Berghaus. And I ask them all, where do they see motorsport evolving to over the next 5, 10 and 25 years? John Evans. Well, I think it'd be pretty quiet in that uh, solar-powered, wind-assisted uh, uh, car goes whistling fast. But uh, no, I think technology-wise, um, the sport has to address uh, the green issues. I just hope we don't ever lose the, the noise, the, the excitement, the flame, the, the, the colour. Um, that's why I think racing at night's always just been so spectacular. That uh, uh, you know, it, it's gone a long way from just being green fuel and things like that because we have to start addressing technology like uh, curves and. Uh, all these sorts of things that will eventually find their way into passenger cars. So there, there has to be some um, some feedback there. Will Hagen. Well, I wouldn't know where it'll go in 25. Um, <laughs> it'd be a bit bold of me to try and forecast that, but I won't be around to see in what degree and in what areas I'm wrong. Um, but, uh, look, I think we're going to see other forms of propulsion and fuel come in. To some degree, we've seen that we've seen them riding electric bikes at Isle of Man, um, and I think Le Mans will probably head that. We'd seen a gas turbine car with Rover years ago at Le Mans, and they're not afraid of experimentation. And we've seen diesel cars racing there, and we've got Bruce Garland going with a diesel vehicle to do the Dakar. So all of that's happening. Um, 
one of the things that's happened to motorsport is that once upon a time it was developing cars and proving the strength of your car and sometimes showing the weaknesses of your car or your motorbike. These days it's not that. It's a bit of a marketing platform and certainly at the top level with um, uh, such as um, Formula One, you know, in in all the technical intricacies of what's going on in that engine of the combustion chamber and the exhaust systems and the, the way the valves are operated and the electronics that control it and all the rest of it, all of that is, is developing at an enormous pace and coming down into production vehicles. But um, the way we use our vehicles, the type of vehicle we use and what we're allowed to do on the road is changing and I don't know to what degree that'll be reflected in motorsport. One of the things I'd like to see in, in motorsport, I'd like to see the track looking more like a road. You know, with a, I mean, if, you, if we can have, people might laugh at this, but if we can have safety cars and compulsory use of two or three different tyre compounds and everything, well, why don't we, we bring in uh, a road element reality to it and have a, a, a yellow crossing and have the lights go red? Um, you know, or suddenly a diversion and you go off in that direction around there. There's a detour or something. Now, as I say, people might think I'm a fool for saying this sort of thing, but to me, it's got closer reality to what the spectators have to put up with in getting to the meeting and they'd probably be more easily able to relate to it than sitting in behind a safety car or something or coming in for a set of tyres that you don't necessarily want. And I think if the circuit started to look a little bit more like a road and a little bit less like a, a racetrack where errors won't be punished, where you can get away with all sorts of wild and sometimes poor driving, then I think it'd have more uh, reality for the public. I mean, I, I've said many times, the spectators going to the Grand Prix at Albert Park have a more difficult driving situation than do the, the guys in the Formula One Grand Prix. Sure, they're going hard, but they've got everything data logged and, and sorted out to, you know, absolute minutiae. Uh, they're incredibly well protected in terms of safety and everything. Uh, there's only a few cars on the track all going in the same direction. And as I say, there's no drunks out there. There's no lunatics trying to kill somebody. There's nobody who's just had a blue with his wife. You know, they're in a fairly sanitised environment. And uh, uh, why should they be protected when we who are going to the meeting have difficulty? And, and you know, in a sense, what's special about seeing these people being so well cosseted when we had to avoid the speed cameras and and all the other stuff and the lane changes and the people who didn't look in their mirrors and all the rest of it, when we go to the racetrack and somebody digging up the road somewhere and, and so on. Speed cameras on a racetrack, an interesting... Oh, I don't say that, but, I mean, we've effectively got that in pit lane, haven't we? And why motorsport ever subscribed to agreeing with with people who tell us that, you know, this speed at all times is safe for this stretch of road under all conditions, all conditions of weather, lighting, traffic density and so on, and why the motorsport people adopted that and, and for pit lane and everything and said, um, 
you know, will in a, in a sense endorse some of the nonsense that's going on on the road. I mean, we should have variable speed limits on the road, depending, as I say, on weather conditions, on traffic density, on lighting and all the rest of it. That could be done. The cameras that, that photograph us when we go 10 k's over the limit could surely be programmed, they could eventually do it, to say there's this traffic density, uh, the speed limit's 85. On another occasion, they could say on this bright, sunny Sunday afternoon, there's only one car going past every couple of minutes, the, the speed limit's 115 or 120. And, uh, you know, I've been at Le Mans when people have been picking up about third gear as they go past your knees. And, you know, I, I grew up with the fact that in the pit and pit lane area at motorsport, the cars and the drivers were king. There was no other rule. If I got hit by them, it was my own fault. It was the only rule. And nowadays, of course, blessed lawyers and, and, and insurance people have got us by the thingos, you know, and make life very sanitised. Barry Oliver. Um, you, you've got to wonder, to be honest with you, just where it's going to go from here. And I think the big telling point um, will be the car of the future next year. Uh, because basically we're starting from scratch, and I think that could be an exciting year. But having said that, I think we've got to be very careful, uh, particularly with V8, to not lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day, this is an Australian-based championship, and we've got to make sure that we look after the fans first and foremost, because at the end of the day, they're going to keep it going um, if they turn up in their numbers. So I, I feel that we've got to be careful that we don't get too caught up in this quest to become internationalised, if I can use that word. John Stoneham. I would say there will always be a V8 supercar, um, because I think V8 supercars is better than NASCAR. I think NASCAR, look how long NASCAR survived, you know, and that's never hardly changed. You know, it's, it's just like Speedway. Speedway's never changed. Uh, you know, the traditional speed cars have Maybe the technology's gone up a little bit, but you know, it's never changed. So, uh, again, it always depends on, on manufacturer involvement, and this is why next year is going to be terrific for Yacht Supercars, because we've got two new manufacturers. Technically, two new manufacturers, which is healthy for the sport, uh, because we might lose one starts with F, you know, I mean, we don't know with Ford, we don't know what's going to happen, you don't know what happens in the hierarchy of the manufacturer, um, but certainly, I mean, um, motorsport started by manufacturers having a race between Paris and Bordeaux, and so, and they did that to show off how good their cars were, and that's always been the basis of motorsport, and, uh, and that will continue as long as there's manufacturers. I'm not sure if we'll ever see electric cars at Bathurst, but, you know, I think there'll always be um, internal combustion engines and car racing. Ray Berghouse. Uh, commercial support, so there's no question they've done a brilliant job at marketing their product. Um, going forward, um, the one question that I would like somebody uh, within their organisation to answer, at least answer as far as my, I'm concerned, is... Um, we are, we're all aware of the fact that come uh, March, April next year, uh, or February, March, we'll be seeing the first uh, races for the car of the future. Now, the question I'd like to ask is, 
when the car of the future is sitting on the grid, do we call it the car of the present? <laughs> it's one of those questions that really I don't think has actually got an answer at the moment because um, you can only call it the car of the future before it actually happens, can't I, you? I think in all sensible terms it's then the V8 supercar. I think you're right. But it's just my rather wicked sense of humour, I guess. Mm. Thanks for being with us on this edition of the V8 Insiders, our 350th show, an unbelievable achievement. Well, as far as I'm concerned, anyway, uh, I would have thought we'd been thrown off the air by now. But thanks for being with us. I think I'm back from holidays next week, so we'll definitely catch up with some news and some more great perspectives on V8 Supercar. So as the checker flag waves over the 350th edition of the V8 Insiders, till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders only on v8x.com.au